Um, we have been in our series, Do I Trust God?, and in our little mini-series called Generous and Content, and I want you to know I had a really good message for you <laughs> about being generous and content. Until Friday, when on Friday we had a very interesting moment in the history of our nation, and um, we had some very important things for us as a culture moving forward as the Supreme Court made a decision to allow states to make laws about abortion. And we don't know what our state will make and what they will choose to do, but we do realize that this is an important moment for us in the life of our church and the life of all of us as Americans. And um, we didn't want to just brush that by. And so we thought we would take this submarine this morning and go a little bit deep. How's that sound, right? We're going to pull that blue lever and we're going to go a little bit deep. Um, so by the way, if, if you don't know, um, Lou Jensen, Cooper's mom, uh, made this backdrop. So she's here somewhere today. Um, I think she's serving in the nursery. So yeah. So Tell Lou she's pretty awesome when you see her uh, this morning afterwards. It, it was really a really great week. And so Kate and I wanted to just take a moment and talk about how to respond to this. Some of you, probably most of us, have been in a conversation about this already. Um, how do we get into a conversation? How should we respond? What should we do as believers in Jesus Christ? Because we recognize that every issue, especially large ones and important ones like this one, have many nuances, many facets, many ideas and many differences that are all involved in that. And we want to prepare ourselves to honor Jesus as we move forward with our words and with our actions. Secondly, we also recognize that talking about an issue that is so large, like this one, it means that there will be individuals in this room, at your workplace, wherever you go, that have been personally influenced, influenced or connected to abortion. And that means that there are individuals all around us that need the healing that only Jesus can bring. And we need to be people that are ready to bring the grace, the love, the joy, and the salvation of our Savior to everyone around us. But let's get real. If we decide to be super political, then we might miss some of the most important opportunities to touch someone's life with the love of Jesus if all we focus on is the political side that we should take. I think you know this as a church already, but um, we take one side and one side always. Because there's only one side in the end, and that's the side of Jesus. And so this issue is far, 
far deeper than a political side. I'm reminded that some of the last words that Jesus gave us was to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'm also reminded that that verse does not say, go into all the nations and make Republicans. Make good Democrats. That's not God's plan. It's not God's plan for mankind. Now, government can be helpful, amen, when it's done right. That's why I became a city council member. <laughs> I want to start doing things right. And I want to infuse Jesus into our city in any way that I can. But Kate and I wanted to take just a little bit of time this morning and try to answer some questions, try to focus on this issue, and not just think that this is a small thing. I don't think it's a small thing. You can tell by the way we've responded over the past couple days that this is not a small thing and will not be, and will continue to be a way that, as the church, we can choose to lead with the truth and with grace. And so um, Kate and I just wanted to talk about that for a little bit this morning and hopefully help us and empower us to walk out the door ready to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around us. And as Mark shared, we understand that everyone in this room, this is a large group, we all have our own different opinions, we have our own different experiences. And I've really appreciated Mark over these past couple years keeping um, this role, this pulpit, as free from politics as possible. However, because we're not called in this role to be politicians, but we are called in this role to be biblical, and we are called in this role to be pastoral. And that's why we strongly felt from God's spirit yesterday that this is what we needed to do today. And so let me just say, we haven't had a lot of time to prepare for this because um, the Holy Spirit wouldn't leave us alone. And finally, around five o'clock last night, we sat down together and, and we're just going to share um, from our heart and what we believe God's spirit is speaking to us as a church, as a body of believers here at Cheney Faith Center. Let me say that some of you may... Um, there's a new term say, that says you may get triggered <laughs> by some of the things that we talk about. And that's why at the very beginning, and Mark's going to pray again here in a moment, but at the start of this service, we really invited God's spirit to be here in a strong way. We have people who are praying for God's spirit to be here in a strong way. And what we're asking is for your spirit to connect with God's spirit. That's what this is about. Okay. So Mark, would you just open yeah, us let's in pray. prayer? Jesus, we give you thanks and we give you praise that you left heaven and you came to, her, to earth to heal our deepest needs. Lord, this is one of our deepest needs. It affects all of us as a nation, but in particular, it affects those that have been directly impacted by it. So Lord, we pray that your spirit would be here in a powerful way, that you would move, that your presence would be here to speak to each of us, and that, Lord, you would set us on a course to be people that know how to love well, that know how to minister to this generation and to minister to
to the hurts in a truthful way that God's word gives us. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to kind of go back and forth and just share a few things. Um, the first thing that we want to just affirm is that the God that we serve, the God of the Bible, is a God of life in all ways. And that is shown in, in so much that he even sent Jesus, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3:16, that we should not perish but we should have everlasting life. Jesus himself, when he was on this earth, John 10, 10 said that the devil came to kill, still and destroy, but that Jesus came to give life to the full. And so the God of the Bible is a God of life in all ways. Now, one of the things as Mark and I were preparing last night, um, we tried to like think about how people might be thinking about some of the statements that we were saying. And so Mark had a really good question, which was, okay, well, if you say that, that the God of the Bible is the God of life, what about examples like the flood where God wiped out life? And so Mark's going to answer that. Yeah. So I'm an apologetic. Does anybody like asking all the questions? Right, I am. So I, I do that. Like when I prepare my message, I'm asking like all the questions and I'm trying to ask every question from every side because I want to do a good job of answering the questions that we have as human beings. And I think that's really important. And I think God wants to give us those answers and that he's given us his word for those answers. And so here's what the Bible really communicates in a big overall general way. First of all, <laughs> this is really important, right? Psalm 24.1 says that everything on the earth is God's, everything. Everything in the earth and the heavens is his. And that means that God created life, he sustains life, and he protects that life that he wants for mankind to live. Now, the flood's a good example, that there are times where as mankind, we completely, in every single facet of our lives, reject the life that God has for us. Every single good thing that God wants to give us, pour out into our life, and the ways that God wants us to live so that we honor him and honor each other socially, we disregard every single thing that God has ever done or said. And in those instances, God has to protect life. Because were he to let it continue, it would get worse and worse and worse. An example of this is the flood. In Genesis chapter six, verse five, Genesis verse five, describes the condition of the earth in this way. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And then this phrase, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That is a extremely profound statement that every single person on the planet only wanted to do evil to each other all the time. Now we can look around our world today and say there's some pretty tough things going on right now. There's some pretty evil things, but it doesn't look like this yet. I mean, it doesn't even look close. 
I live on a cul-de-sac, Kate and I have five or six pretty good neighbors. We all like each other and we're kind to one another and we help one another. The inclination of my heart isn't to do evil to the neighbor on my right and to the neighbor on my left, but apparently that was so in Genesis 6, 5, that every single person wanted to do evil all the time. And so in those instances, by the way, this answers the other question, God, why don't you step in when it gets really bad? He did. When it got really bad, he stepped in. But here's what often happens. We say what? I don't like the way you stepped in. (laughs) But what we really want is for God to solve the problem. And in Genesis 6, he did. And he protected life. And he started over. And here we are today. And I believe that at some point, Jesus will do the same. He'll come back and he'll rescue his church. He'll rescue us from the evil that is our world and he will take care of us. So as God's children, one of the things we believe is that he is the author, the sustainer, and the finisher of life. And that secondly, we're not to take that place. That's his place, not our place. In fact, that's why God said one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not murder because it's not your place to take life. It's only my place to do that. And so that's one of the things that we see throughout creation. And so the God of the Bible, the God who sent Jesus to give us life, both both wholeness and life here and eternal perfect life in heaven, he is very present and intimately involved in the mistreatment of women, and that's what we want to talk about here next. The very first recorded instance of a woman being mistreated is in Genesis chapter 16, and that's the story of Hagar. And so Hagar was mistreated. She found herself with child, and she ran away from those who were mistreating her. She ran away desperate. She ran alone afraid. She ran away alone and afraid. And the sad part of the story, the real tragic part of the story, and I think a lesson for us, is it was the people of God who um, drove her away. So Abraham and Sarah were the first people that God said, I'm choosing you to be my family. You're my people. And it was those same people, Abraham and Sarah, who so severely mistreated her that she ran away. Verse 7, however, and we have this scripture up on the screen, shares what I believe to be some of the most beautiful language in scripture, Genesis 16, 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. Now, most biblical scholars believe that anytime there's this phrase, angel of the Lord, most biblical scholars, and I happen to believe, I don't know what Mark thinks, but I happen to believe that that's the pre-incarnate Jesus himself showing up. So when God's people mistreated um, Hagar, Jesus himself showed up and found her near a spring in the desert. And then he goes on to give her some life-giving words, both to her, but also as a blessing to her unborn child. Verse 13, uh, oh, no, sorry, I got to put my glasses on. Please excuse the shells on my glasses. I was seashell Sally at VBS, my other pair broke, so, and I couldn't rip these shells off in time. So, anyhow, um, (laughs) 
let, let me just digress for just a moment. So I, like I shared, VBS was just so much fun and I got to be Seashell Sally and Seashell Sally had um, shells on her shirt, in her hair, on her glasses. And just like shells are treasures from the sea, God's word is a treasure to us. And all of these little, um, all of the shells had scripture references that I had memorized throughout my life. So I was showing kids that, you know, a whole life you can memorize a whole lot of scriptures. So anyhow, I digress. Um, so in Genesis chapter 16, um, when the angel of the Lord, who many people believe is Jesus incarnate, showed up and, and he gave her a blessing and he says to her in verse 11, you are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard your misery. So Jesus himself showed up, gave a blessing, a promise to this young child. Um, he comes to, to give life and to give a blessing, even in an unplanned pregnancy here, even when there was mistreatment. Now, I want to just say a moment that we, we mentioned that it was the people of God who mistreated um, Hagar and that we don't want to be that. We want to be people who are Jesus with skin on, right? That in this day and age in which we live, we have relationship with Jesus. God's spirit is within us to exalt Jesus. And that means that we're Jesus with skin on wherever we go. Last night, I did just a very brief flip through the gospel of Matthew because I wanted to share some of the things that Jesus yeah. did, who he is, just as an encouragement to us of what being Jesus with skin on looks like. Um, Jesus came, it says in John chapter one, that he came full of grace and truth. I personally like, so up here you, you have gra uh, grace and you have truth most often, okay? <laughs> but I like to point out that in this That's scripture true. here, it says that he came first with grace, grace and truth, but he didn't, he didn't deny truth, right? Yeah. Jesus came full of love. He came full of light. Jesus accepted people right where they were at. Jesus was full of forgiveness. Jesus was so giving that he even laid down his own life. Jesus came to bring wholeness to people's lives. Jesus came to bring healing. Jesus came full of God's spirit, and we still have that um, availability to us today as well. And so we just, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this later, but we just want to say that's, that's how Jesus interacted. Jesus showed up to this woman who was mistreated, and now, as his followers, we get to show up in that way as well. Uh, God sees each and every woman who faces an unplanned pregnancy. He loves each baby that that unplanned pregnancy represents. And yesterday I was reading, just in my normal Bible reading, I was reading um, Psalm 146. And I'd just like to share a couple portions of scripture of that psalm with you because I feel like it, it has a heartbeat of who God is and what he does. And, um, oh, I forgot one part. Thank you. This, this is nice having someone up here with you that can say, oh, don't forget that. <laughs> it's, um, it's a very important part. Yes, it is. So went back to Hagar. When Hagar was in her turmoil and she experienced Jesus, what who many people believe was Jesus incarnate, incarnate ministering to her, verse 13 says this. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one 
who sees me. How many of us just in our everyday life love to know that God sees us? And he, he sees all of us. And she was able to know him deeply as one who saw her and provided for her. If you keep reading her story in um, Genesis is it 18? There's some, some more parts that unfold. And God continually shows up. Genesis 21. God continually shows up for Hagar and for Ishmael. He was good on his word. He was good on his promise. And that's the same God that we serve today. So back to Psalm 146. I just want to um, share a couple scriptures. And this because this is the truth about who God is and, and what he does. And I just want it to settle deep in your soul as I read this. I'm reading out of the Amplified Version, verse 6. Speaking of the Lord, who made heaven and earth the sea and all that it is and all, and all that is in them who keeps truth and is faithful forever who executes justice for the oppressed who gives food to the hungry the Lord sets prisoners free and this is what God does even in this day if you skip down to verse 9, the first part there, it says, the Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow. That word there, um, supports, is the Hebrew word ud, and it's translated in various Bible um, translations as follows. The Lord sustains, the Lord supports, the Lord cares, protects, takes the side of, takes good care of the fatherless and the widow, those who have been abandoned and those left alone without help. And by the way, and we're going to talk about this again in a, a little at the end, often the way God does that, the way that he sustains, supports, takes care of, protects, is through his, his Christ followers those of us who, who are being Jesus with skin on, that's often how, how God does this. But we also wanted to address, and I wanted to address this as the women's pastor here, and, and that what the decision that was made on Friday may have brought up some things from our past. And I want us to hear the word of the Lord this morning. And specifically, I'm talking to any one of us, male or female, who have experienced the effects of abortion or experienced abortion. Um, I'm speaking to that specifically and directly, but this script, these scriptures that I'm going to share are actually good for all of us in our brokenness, because how many of us know that we all have brokenness inside of us? And the word of the Lord this morning to us, and I believe that this is a strong word for us this morning, it's Romans chapter 8, verse 1 out of the Amplified Bible. It says, therefore... There is now no condemnation, no guilty verdict, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus, who believe in him as personal Lord and Savior. The moment that we say yes to Jesus, when God's Jesus' blood covers us, and when God looks down from heaven, he no longer sees our sin. He sees the cross of Christ and the blood that covers us. We all have made choices in our brokenness, haven't we? And for those of us who are feeling, you know, triggered or um, convicted or 
I'm going to say condemned because there's a difference between conviction. Conviction is good and it's from the Holy Spirit. It's God's transforming work in our life. Condemnation is not. And so we, we've all made choices in our brokenness. If you skip down to Romans 8:15, it continues with this line of, of truth. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. So the reason, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. The enemy tries to get us to go back and to, to feel judgment, to feel guilty, all of these things. Verse 15 says, we're not going back. We're not going back to become a slave to fear. We're not going back to become a slave to judgment because Jesus, the spirit that we've received shows us that we are God's children and that we have full acceptance and we have um, every right that God's children have. have. And so any of us who, have, um, who are experiencing that brokenness and maybe that's been brought up, my encouragement is we're not going back. We're moving forward with Jesus. We're not going back to a fear of judgment. The cross has settled it, and we are adopted as God's precious daughters and sons, and so we're going to leave it there. We wanted to also give just some, some tips about moving forward in this, in this way, and as we talk to people, and as you maybe even deal with it yourself, and that statement that Jesus was full of grace and truth, one of the things that I love about that statement, and you and I called to be like Christ as well, is it doesn't mean that I'm just like a total truth person or a total grace person, because actually that can put you in the wrong extreme one direction or the other. If I'm totally truth, I'll often be super judgmental and pharisaical. If I'm total grace, all grace, no truth, then I often will make excuses for my sin and continue in it. But the word says that Jesus came full of grace and truth, both at the same time. And that's the challenge, isn't it? Yes. Isn't that the challenge in our life to be full of grace and truth at the exact same time? I think this issue requires that. There are certain issues in culture that require this balance of both. We must have both grace and truth because there, there are people that are going to need grace in the middle of this, but we also need to stand for the truth that our God is the God of life. And so both need to be there. I also want to encourage us, like Jesus did with Hagar, are you going to see people in their pain? Because we will. Over the next month, I'm assuming that the Holy Spirit will put you in positions and in moments at work or wherever where you get to talk about this issue with someone that is dealing with it in a much deeper way than you are. Not like the surface political way that most of us are going to deal with it. They're dealing with it in a very, very personal way because they've had an abortion themselves or they've been around that situation, and so it's affecting them in an extremely deep way. And you get to be the hands and feet and the truth and the grace of Jesus in that moment. The past several days have shown us that our nation is 
once again is very divided. The challenge for all of us on both sides is how are we going to move forward? It becomes particularly difficult to move forward in an issue like this when it's a very passionate issue, and so we got to kind of figure out what should we do. How do we have conversations and keep our cool? Not offend someone on purpose. Stand for the truth in God's word. Listen well and honor Jesus. That's the challenge. So let me give you a couple tips. Um, my first tip is to try not to get political. Okay, I'm gonna make a statement that I hope you understand. The Republican Party or the Democratic Party are never gonna solve this issue. <laughs> They're not gonna solve this issue. It's much deeper than that. It's much more social. It's much more grassroots. It's much more uh, family-oriented. It's, it's much, much deeper than a political person that we vote into power at the time. It's, it's, much, it's a much deeper issue than that. So we're not gonna solve it by being political. I also wanna remind you, and I always find this fascinating, um, that Jesus wasn't political. Have you ever noticed that? We don't have a single story where Jesus walked into Pontius Pilate's office and said, hey dude, we gotta talk because you are doing this all wrong. Never once does he talk about Pontius Pilate in any of his teaching, because Pontius Pilate was the governor. Not once does he, does he address King Herod's son, who was an awful individual historically. The Romans traditionally, and if you read a, a good book about the history of who Pontius Pilate was in Jerusalem, his normal stance or MO in any situation was just to send in the Roman guards and slaughter whoever was a problem. Just kill him. That was his normal response. Don't you think Jesus should talk about that? Never does. So Jesus never got into this big political or government argument or issue. Why? Because he believed in something greater. He believed in the kingdom of God. And he believed that the kingdom of God would solve our problems. See, Jesus knows that obeying God's word, embracing our forgiveness from the cross, celebrating Jesus' resurrection that conquers death in us, and living every day in the power of the Holy Spirit is what really changes a life. Now, do we need to bring Jesus into the government? Absolutely. Like, I think we need to do that because it's an area of our culture where Jesus is not represented. And so do I believe that Jesus' followers need to start getting involved in government and in positions of government so that Jesus can be brought in? Absolutely, that might help. Might help us a lot for Christ followers to start being in positions governmentally where we're treating people like Jesus would. That might be very helpful for us as a society. So I'm not dissing completely on government, but what I also want to say, or because um, sometimes I'm kind of a political person and sometimes I, I find my mind and my heart wandering to this place where I think that government's gonna solve my problems. And I have to pull myself back and go, no, 
Jesus is, Jesus is the answer. Now, I need to get involved in government because I need Jesus to be there. But in the end, Jesus is going to solve these issues because they're, they're deep heart issues. And so we need to go there. So I want to encourage us, especially with this issue, try to not make it political as often as you can. Second, think about the three forms of communication. Your words, your tone of voice, and your body language. They communicate when you're communicating. Think about the words that you're going to say while you're having a conversation with someone. And I'll get to that in a minute too. The actual words you're going to say. Think about your tone of voice. Is your tone of voice louder, maybe more angry, frustrated? Think about your tone of voice. What's your body language look like? Are you making eye contact with that person? Are you listening with your eyes and your ears and your heart? Are you listening all the way through the conversation when someone is talking, not just waiting so you can jump in and defend your position or tell them where they're wrong? Think of your body language. Third, how, how should we treat someone that thinks differently than we do? We have a specific truth that God has given us that we believe as the people of God. That the Bible is God's truth and we're called to live in it. We know that. So how do we get into a conversation or how do we respond? How do we act in the middle of a conversation with someone that thinks different than us? Well, something that works really well to help the conversation go the way that it would be full of grace and truth is to listen before you speak. Listen. Listen first. Talk second. Don't act like you know it all. You don't know it all. I don't know it all. So listening helps me figure some things out. Learn some things. Find out God's truth on this and, and know the truth as well, but don't act like you know it all. Use words full of grace. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And don't be antagonistic in any way. Listen to understand. Now, this is important. Because probably most of us know the basic facts about the issue. Whatever issue we're talking about, we probably all know the basic facts about the issue. But that doesn't mean you know how the person you are talking to feels. You don't know their story. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know how abortion has affected them personally. And if you don't listen well and listen to understand, you might miss all of that. And when you miss all of that because you didn't listen to understand, most likely we will miss the opportunity that the Holy Spirit is putting in front of us to be Jesus in that moment. See, that person may have had a really difficult circumstance or situation with an abortion 
And this is going to bring that up. And maybe you've been a safe person to talk about, to talk about things in the past. But if you go into this conversation and you don't listen to understand, you may not be able, that person may not be able to talk to you about the pain that's going on in their heart. And if you just jump right to the facts and right to the truth that you know and right to the political issues that are going on, that person may immediately shut down because maybe what they were thinking right in that moment is this may be my one opportunity to share a whole lot of pain that's going on inside of me with a friend. And if we bring up politics, what we think is the truth or what we know is the truth, and we don't listen first and listen to understand first, we may miss an opportunity that the Holy Spirit is giving to share the grace and truth of Jesus Christ as our Savior. And so I want to encourage you to look for those moments. Lastly, think about the conversations that you will have this week and moving into the next little bit here, however long they last. Think about this conversation going really well so that it will move and lead to other conversations that you hope go really well. Think about a conversation about abortion in your workplace going so well that you get an opportunity down the road to have a spiritual conversation with people at work about Jesus. Let me mention two more things that I think are important while we're processing this moment in history. For many of us, and for some of us, we feel like this is a huge win. And it is. But don't gloat. Don't gloat. It's not Christ-like. When Jesus rose from the dead, remember that time? He rose from the dead? Is it recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John that the first place he went to the Pharisee's house was, hey, what do you think now, boy? I mean, he could have, right? That's like the big thing now, right? Look at me, three-pointer. Yeah. Look at me, rose from the dead. That's not what he did. It's not what Jesus did. And he had every right and every authority to do it, but he didn't. You want to make, make fun of me on the cross? Look at me now. He didn't glow. He was humble. So let's be people of great humility like our Savior. And then second, um, I just want to give us a, a, a warning. Let's be careful what we do on social media, could we? Please? Please, 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 please. Super please. Because we're representing our Savior, Jesus Christ. And those things won't go away. They'll always be there for someone to read. And so could you think about every post, every text, every Instagram thing, every Snapchat, every Twitter thing? Since I don't use any of those things, I don't know at all what they mean or what I should actually call whatever that thing is that I'm talking about. Whenever you say anything on social media, would you please think about that you don't just represent yourself when you 
say you're a Christian. You represent all of us and you represent Jesus. And so make sure your comments are full of grace and full of truth. And I will tell you this, it will take you some more time to think about that text and think about that post and think about what you're gonna say if you're gonna do it right. Ephesians 4 verse 15 says, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. James 3 verse 18 says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Is there anyone in the room that has wanted a harvest of righteousness lately? I have. For my friends and my family and my coworkers. My coworkers. Yeah, okay. Right? I, I want that harvest of righteousness. But the Bible's clear that that harvest of righteousness comes through peace. So let's be people of peace. And the reality of life here on earth is that we are broken, right? Humankind is broken. And God sent Jesus to bring his kingdom here to earth. And if you are a Christ follower, then the Jesus in you is the solution, the answer to the brokenness. It's my responsibility, it's your responsibility to bring God's kingdom with us wherever we go. And in whatever situation you find yourself in, not just with the words you speak, but with the actions that you take as well. There's a scripture, 1 John 3, 18, little children, believers, dear ones, let us not love merely in theory with word or with tongue, giving lip service to compassion, but in action and in truth, in practice and in sincerity, because practical acts of love are more than words. St. Teresa of Avila has a quote that says, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth, but yours. Yours are, are the eyes through which he looks with compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, you are, you, you are his body. Christ has no body now on earth, but yours. On Friday, I received a text, and I, I want to just brag on our young adults that are part of Cheney Faith Center. I received a text from one of our young adults, and she said, Kate, I've been struggling with a lot of the abortion conversations that have been happening today, and knowing my opinions are different than many of my friends. But I was wondering if you knew of any ways I could volunteer or good places to donate. And I just loved that text and I love that response. And we want to be thinking about what can we do to be compassion, to be Jesus with skin on, to show love in action, in truth. How can we love and support a woman near us who is facing an unplanned pregnancy? Many of you turned in baby bottles um, for life services that we as a church sponsor. Um, but Mark and I really felt strongly that this, um, that we wanted to give above and beyond that because we want to put, we want to love with action, not just with words. And so um, 
we have a church council who helps us make all these decisions. So Mark will be um, visiting with them, but they're very generous. But we, any um, finances that are given today in our offering, we are going to give a significant portion of that to life services. And I also want to encourage you, if you want to just give a, yourself straight to them, that it's very easy to do so. So that's a step that, that we are going to take. And our prayer is that this isn't just a this week thing, but that this really gets rooted deep in our hearts so that we can become Jesus with skin on, that we can bring his kingdom, the kingdom of God, to our our world, to our families, our workplaces, our community. So with that, um, we're going to just close. Mark's going to close us in prayer. And then we thought it would be really fitting um, just to, to close in one of the songs. We were going to sing Amazing Love, but I think as we were singing the Lion and the Lamb song, I thought that would be more fitting and appropriate um, because it shows the grace and the truth of Jesus, right? And and we want to be under his authority and allowing him to transform our lives so that we become more like him. So let's pray. Would you stand with me? One of the things that, that I that I mentioned that I think is just in some ways we've gotten a little off track as a culture as well for from the inception of our nation the church the body of Christ has been the ones that cared for the poor for those that were hurting for those that were experiencing an unplanned pregnancy for those that needed help for those that um, would start orphanages and adoption was a big move in the church because we know that we are adopted by Christ. And we've seen a, a shift culturally where now the government has taken over all of these social uh, programs. Some of them work, some of them don't. But as a church, we've kind of in some ways gotten out of the business of care. And I just want to say that the government is really good at handing out money, right? They can throw money at an issue. That's really good. And that in some ways can be helpful. But the government sucks at care. That's our job. That's our job. We're supposed to be the ones that care. We're supposed to see that woman that's in an unplanned pregnancy and do something about it. If she's been kicked out of her house, she has a new one. It's yours. Bring her into your home. Love her. Care for her. Get her to life services. They have a home as well where they take care of ladies and have actually a lot of the medical care that can help there too. So that is another option. But we need to be better at care. And I think that since Friday, that's been my heart's cry. Is that we've turned things over as a church to the government. They don't, they don't care very well. 
And so we need to connect the money stream and the care together so that things get done well. And that's where we come in. Because the people of God, we're supposed to be the compassionate ones on the earth. And so let's choose to be that. Let's pray. Jesus, we believe that when you died on the cross and when you rose again and when you poured out your spirit, that that is everything we need, even and mostly in our darkest moments of life. And Lord, we recognize that this issue is about moments where women get into a really tough spot. And Jesus, we wanna pray right now that you would help the church to be the hands and feet of Jesus for those women. That abortions would slow down and decrease in so many ways because the church of Jesus Christ in the United States is going to choose to be full of grace and truth, to be the compassion of Jesus. And so Lord, we pray for us right here at Cheney Faith Center and we pray for every single follower and believer in Jesus Christ in the United States. We pray that you would help us to open our eyes and open our hearts, and open our lives to fill a need. To say yes to you, to say yes to the hurting and the broken. Lord, would you help us to be people that don't just give lip service anymore, but we choose. We choose to serve in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We give you thanks, Jesus, that that's who you are, and that's who you are in us. Pray that you would just continue to move our hearts over the next days and weeks and months as we address this as a culture. We pray that you would give us wisdom and that, Holy Spirit, we would hear what you're saying to those around us that need your help. Help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We give you thanks and praise, Lord, in your name. Amen.